So think of your audience as being not merely a, a receptacle into which you're going to pour information, but rather some other humans that you're going to connect with. And the most fundamental unit of human connection is the story. I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. In this episode, you'll gain a better understanding of some of the obstacles that get in the way of effective communication, especially the obstacle of failing to connect emotionally with your listeners. You'll also get a preview of where we'll go in future episodes as we discover the power of storytelling to connect your ideas with your audience. Welcome to the inaugural episode of The Power of Story and Science with your host, David Ote. Your curiosity, or perhaps the prodding of a friend, has gotten you this far, and now you're wondering, is this worth my time? And the answer is, yes, if. If what? Well, if you are called upon to give presentations about your work, and if your work is technical in nature, that is, you are a scientist, or perhaps an engineer, or an IT professional, or a project manager, if your job is to deliver information, and you wonder sometimes why your audiences aren't just gobbling it up, why they don't find your information every bit as fascinating as you do, why there's a, a disconnect there between you and your audience when you present, well then yes, you are in the right place, and this is worth your time. Because I've been where you are. I've been in that place where getting up in front of my fellow engineers to present in public took me way out of my comfort zone. And like you, I was dissatisfied with my results. Maybe you're more than dissatisfied. Maybe you feel overwhelmed sometimes at the prospect of presenting your work publicly. Because you're used to measuring things, and you don't know how to measure this. Unless you're measuring the rise in your blood pressure. Now, take a deep breath and picture the alternative. You've just given a presentation, and there was a lot riding on it. Maybe your job, your future... Maybe the future of your company. Maybe the funding you need to complete your research. There was something meaningful at stake. And you rocked it. You did a terrific job. How do you know you did a terrific job? Well, no one left in the middle of it. Your audience stayed with you the whole time and they gave you their undivided attention and the questions they asked showed that they were listening carefully and wanted to engage with you further. When you left the stage, you knew you had connected with those people. Your message made a difference to them. Now, isn't that the kind of result you want? 
Well, it's the kind of result you can get once you put into practice the principles that lie at the heart of this program. And the basic principle, the one I'm going to come back to over and over in one way or another, is the principle of telling the story of your work. Now, you heard me say scientists earlier and scientific presentations, and maybe you're not a scientist. Maybe you're wondering about that word science in the title of the program, The Power of Story and Science. Well, here's the thing. This isn't just about telling the story of your work, whether it's in science or some other technical field. It's also about the science behind the power of story as a communication tool. That's what lies at the heart of what we're going to be talking about here. What do I mean by that? Well, communication is a fascinating process. I'm not going to go into many of the details of the history of communication and and what we know about creating meaning simultaneously in the mind of the speaker and the listener I think you understand that this is a complicated process. Did you know that the most basic unit of human connection is the story? It's truly fascinating. Our brains seem to be wired for story, for communicating with each other in stories. That's what makes us so uniquely human, is the fact that we can experience something and then share verbally what we've experienced so that for the person hearing of our experience, it's as if they've experienced it themselves. You literally will have the same activity in regions of your brain when you hear a story about something as you would have if you had experienced that that very same thing yourself. The neuroscience behind stories is just fascinating. Here's one thing I found about the neurochemistry of stories that I think really sets the stage for a lot of what we're going to be doing here in this program. There's a researcher at Harvard by the name of Paul Zak, Z-A-K. Paul Zak has done a lot of work into the science of oxytocin. Oxytocin is a neurotransmitter, a chemical in your brain It is sometimes called the bonding hormone or even the love hormone, although I don't know if hormone is an accurate descriptor of what this chemical is because I'm not a biochemist. But I do know it's a neurotransmitter. And when it is expressed in your brain, it tends to lead to feelings of empathy for another person. In other words, uh, it creates that sense of connection with someone. Now, oxytocin, it's interesting, oxytocin can be expressed in your brain under a number of different conditions. For example, when you caress a lover, or when you just get a hug, or when you pet your dog, all of these things will lead to an expression of oxytocin. 
So you may be thinking, well, that's great, David. I'm going to get up and give a presentation. I want my audience to feel empathy toward me. So I'm going to walk through the audience with my dog before I start, or I'm going to pass out hugs. A little impractical. Would you agree? There's a better way, a more sanitary way. And that is to tell them a story. Because you see, what Paul Zach found in his experiments is that when people experience a story, their oxytocin levels rise. When people experience a story that involves, in particular, a character who is undergoing a struggle, that is, there's a a conflict, there's a, a striving for something that that character initially can't achieve or attain or obtain, we tune in to that character's situation. That story, the tension particularly that's involved in telling that story, is what causes an expression of oxytocin in our brains. And when your audience, when your audience's brain is flooded with oxytocin, they're going to connect with you, and you're going to connect with them at an emotional level. And that's really what this program is all about. How do you connect with your audience? Your information doesn't connect with your audience. That's not its job. You as the presenter are there to connect with your audience. And the, according to experimental science, the way to do that is by telling them a story, a story where there is a clearly drawn character and a striving that is that character wants something, and that something is not initially available or accessible to them. Under those conditions, you've got tension, you've got a story, you've got oxytocin flowing, and you've got an audience who, when they hear that, are going to feel empathy toward the speaker. They're going to want what you want. They're going to want the solution you came up with to overcome the obstacle that you, as the protagonist of the story, were striving to overcome. When they want that solution, they're going to want that solution before they even know what it is when you give your information, your presentation, in the right way. So I'm just laying some groundwork here because this is something that I'll be coming back to over and over again in The Power of Story and Science. We'll look in subsequent episodes at particular story models that you can use. We'll look at questions you can ask in order to uncover the story within your work. Now, you may be hesitant to accept this idea of telling a story as a way of presenting information. Because I know in science, story is distrusted. Story is sometimes equated with an anecdote. That is to say, um something that some people will try to substitute for evidence, right? And I know the plural of anecdote is not data. I get that, okay? That's not the way I'm talking about using a story. I'm not talking about using a story in place of evidence, for example. 
What I'm talking about is humanizing your message in the sense that humanity connects with each other through story. So what you typically don't do in a scientific paper or an engineering report is you often don't reveal the strong desire behind the work you are doing. You just report the result. And often the desire, to the extent that it's there, is really subdued because desire seems to be a very emotional component and those of us who are responsible for giving technical or scientific or engineering presentations often distrust that emotional component. We try to work it out of our writing and that's fine. If you're writing a scientific paper, there's not a lot of room for emotion there. But that's different from giving a paper, excuse me, from giving a talk, giving a presentation. You see, because those are real people in the room with you. You can use first person because you are the person speaking. You can use second person and refer to the people in the room there with you. You can do all kinds of things in a presentation that are quite different from what you would do in a paper or a report. And the reason you do that is because you know instinctively that people respond to a speaker in a different way than they respond to the written word. And it's good that you have an instinctive grasp of that because you may not have thought about just how important that is. Let me explain with a little bit of simple math. The average speaker and I will qualify that by saying the average speaker, uh, the average native speaker of, shall we say, North American English at least, the language I'm familiar with, speaks, according to published sources I've seen, at a rate of 125 to 150 words per minute. The average educated adult can read at approximately twice that speed. Various Sources I've seen cite a range of 250 to 300 words per minute, perhaps higher if you've taken a speed reading course. 250 to 300 compared to 125 to 150. In other words, a ratio of about 2 to 1. You can read the written word at about twice the rate as a speaker is delivering words to you orally. Think about that for a moment. If you're giving me an hour-long presentation, chances are that if you simply transcribed word for word what you're going to say and handed it to me in printed form, I could read that one-hour presentation in half an hour. And yet, if I'm in your audience, you're expecting an hour of my attention and what I'm getting in return is only a half hour's worth of information. There's a disconnect there. So clearly, as a speaker, you've got to bring something else to the table. That's what I call the grand bargain. The bargain that a speaker has to make with their listener in order to earn the listener's attention. What do you bring to the table? You bring to the table all the things that the printed page doesn't bring. You bring chiefly an emotional connection with your audience. You bring 
an awareness that they're going to interact with you as a human being and not as simply a source of information. You are not a paper. You are your presentation. So for that to to work, for that connection to take place, you've got to understand how people connect with each other, and that is through story. So what I would challenge you to do essentially is this, and we'll go into further detail in this on this in later episodes of this program. But essentially, think about this. What is the strong desire behind your work? What is the thing that you are trying to prove or the, the solution you are trying to develop that no one else had developed before? What's the challenge presented there? There's a reason why someone, why no one has previously done the work that you're doing. There was some obstacle that had to be overcome for you to achieve the result that is uniquely yours. What propelled you past that obstacle? There had to have been some desire to overcome that obstacle. Well, where desire meets obstacle, there is story. So what I would encourage you to do is think about what drove you. Yes, I know that by the time you publish a paper about your results or your engineering solution, you're distilling all of that down into mere introductory sentences. What I would encourage you to do is expand on that when you give your presentation. Think about the purpose that you have in giving that presentation. And this is something that I work with people a lot as I'm coaching other speakers And that is the concept of your specific purpose. Your specific purpose is quite different from that brief purpose that you can state in a couple of words, like to inform or to educate, perhaps to persuade. What I would encourage you to do is go beyond that two-word purpose and drill down into your specific purpose. And your specific purpose is the answer to this question. What do I want my listeners to think do, or feel differently when I am done? Three parts. What do I want my listeners to think, do, or feel, or even some combination of any two or all three of those, when I'm done? When you know the answer to that question, that's when you're ready to begin planning your presentation, and not before. And when you have the answer to that question, that becomes the filter through which every piece of content must pass, every word, every sentence, every image in your PowerPoint, if it fails the test of supporting that specific purpose, it does not go in. Now, here's something to think about, combining this idea of specific purpose with what I was talking about previously. You've, chances are you've got way more information in your scientific paper or your full-blown engineering report than what you can put into the time of your presentation. So why don't you consider that your specific purpose may be to get your audience to read that paper. They can always go there for more details. It doesn't need to be true that your presentation is a substitute for that paper. Maybe it's the thing that engages their curiosity, that uniquely human emotion that I believe 
many of us in scientific and engineering and technical pursuits share, that curiosity. So why not engage your listeners' curiosity by getting them to desire to know more about your solution? So if you'll spend a little more time in your presentation explaining the importance, the why, that this is what I wanted to prove, and this is the obstacle I encountered, and this was the key insight that helped me move past that obstacle into this new realm where we knew the solution to this problem, where we understood this scientific, this natural phenomenon. When you can do that, you're going to engage my curiosity. So think of your purpose in giving a presentation not as serving up a dish of information. You're not there to serve your information. You're there to serve your audience. You're there to serve your audience. And here's the thing that if you've heard me speak, you'll have heard me say this, and you're going to hear it again. The basic problem is when speakers believe that they are there to serve their information instead of serving their audience. Your information goes nowhere if you don't meet the needs of your audience. In subsequent episodes, we're going to look at, uh, in detail at this question of your audience's needs. How do you assess what your audience needs from you? How do you meet those needs? And how is it that meeting the needs of your audience paves the way for your information to transfer from your mind to theirs. Because if you give information-rich presentations, isn't that what you want? You want a transfer of information, a transfer of knowledge. Well, until you make that connection with your audience, your information goes nowhere. It simply falls on deaf ears. So think of your audience as being not merely a a receptacle into which you're going to pour information, but rather some other humans that you're going to connect with. And the most fundamental unit of human connection is the story. So yes, do your science, do your engineering, manage your projects, compile your information, get your data Lay it all out in reports and papers, and that's fine. And when you get up in front of an audience, concentrate on getting that oxytocin flowing. Tell the story of your work. That's why this program is called The Power of Story and Science. Now, in future episodes, we're going to be looking at some specific story models some other science behind how we make first first impressions of people and what you need to be looking at in order to get your audience to have a favorable impression of you. Just to lay some things out for you, this is the very first episode of The Power of Story and Science. I anticipate that this will be a bi-weekly program, that is, that new episodes will come out about every two weeks. That being said, there may occasionally be bonus episodes. In fact, I have a bonus episode in mind right now because so many people have been asking me, David, in this time of pandemics and shelter in place and people working from home, 
how do we overcome the challenges of presenting information to virtual audiences? So watch for a special episode on that topic that may come up and jump the queue compared to our bi-weekly episodes so that that information can find its home with you in a more timely fashion. I hope that you will be in touch with me. If you will go to this web address, storyandscience.com, you can find ways to contact me. I look forward to entertaining your questions, your comments. Perhaps you have suggestions for future content for The Power of Story and Science. I'm David Odie. Thank you for being here. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.